Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. Programs, we, we don't want to connect with the people. The pandemic is only ripping off the proverbial band-aid and exposing the, fa- the church's failure to connect with the community faster. Churches are struggling because they are supposed to be out in the world making disciples, but the church won't get close to people because the church doesn't approve of them. Amen. Let's get into the word. Turn with me, if you will, to the gospel according to John, the first chapter. I'll be reading the 43rd through the 51st verse. Again, that's the gospel according to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In the New Testament, chapter 1, starting with verse 43. I am reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Let's see what the word of God has for us today. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. God's word for God's people and God's people said, Amen. Pray with me, church. O Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. We thank you for this day. We thank you for getting us up, starting us on our way, for us being in our right minds. We thank you for the opportunity to gather once again in your name, Lord God. Lord, we come before you asking that you put a special blessing upon this word, both the message and the messenger. Let it be acceptable in your sight. Continue to take things out of me that are not like you. I ask for forgiveness for any sins that I've committed by word, thought, or deed, and I ask you to bring anybody to my remembrance that I need to forgive so that I can be quick to forgive. Hide me behind your cross. Let this word be a seed that is planted in good soil and produces a great harvest. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
for the time that we get to share together in the word today, I would like to talk a little bit about the concept of try before you buy. Try before you buy. Try before you buy is one of the many comforts that has been strained during this time. The ability to try something out before we buy it. People don't buy homes without walking through them. We try on clothes before we buy them. We even take cars for test drives. Now, many online shopping places allow us to try and buy. They've made it easier to return items that we've purchased online. Uh, the websites now have apps that will show us what we look like with the clothing or the glasses or whatever item we have purchased. They give us a virtual try before you buy experience. While it may not give the exact look and feel of shopping in a brick and mortar store, it still gives us the opportunity to sample what we want to buy. An opportunity to try before you buy happened right in the fourth gospel the gospel according to John. In the passage that I read, we find Jesus right after baptism. And right after baptism, he is going out into the world to recruit disciples. Jesus went right to work. No confirmation certificate, no banquet, no special Sunday service. He went right to work. Now, there is nothing wrong with celebrating but I appreciate skipping the formalities, the pomp and circumstance sometimes, and getting right down to business. Not only did Jesus get started without a bunch of ceremonies, but Jesus also went out into the community looking for people to share the good news with. Uh, I read verse 43 of chapter 1, but uh, before the parts that I read, uh, Jesus got baptized by John, then he went and found Andrew and Peter, and then found Philip. Philip is a new disciple, and he's going to go testify to somebody uh, by the name of Nathaniel about Jesus and about this, uh, this man that has been prophesied in the scriptures. Now watch, watch, watch again. Jesus got baptized and went to work out there evangelizing, sharing the gospel. He went and found other disciples almost immediately after getting baptized. And then those disciples got out and found other people to tell the good word about. They didn't just find a nice building and sit there and say, I sure do hope somebody comes by this building to come check us out. No, they all went and got out into the community. And so Philip is going to offer a testimony to someone about Jesus. And this is what happens in the text. This is a rare time in the text. The testimony is met with resistance. Nathaniel hears where Jesus is from and asks, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Nathaniel was looking down on Jesus at first based on where he came from. Uh, you see, Nazareth was considered in insignificant during the Bible times. Matter of fact, it was considered so insignificant that when I was looking through commentaries to prepare for the message, I couldn't find too much information about Nazareth. Nazareth is not mentioned a lot at, or at all in the Old Testament. Nazareth is not mentioned in uh, extra biblical sources like Josephus. It's not mentioned. It is a small town. There's only a little bit about Nazareth that is mentioned outside of where Jesus is from. Uh, Nazareth is a small town. Uh, it wasn't even mentioned during the reign of King Herod. Uh, there aren't many Roman records about it. We know the city was there, but it was considered so insignificant that people did not mention it or want to keep records about it. Uh, it is a small town uh, about three miles away from the capital of Galilee. Uh, the capital of Galilee was Sephoris, and, and Nazareth uh, had an estimated population at the time of about 300 to 400 people. To put that into perspective, we've had graduating high school classes larger than Nazareth. We have churches that are larger than Nazareth. They have professional sports teams that staff more people than are in Nazareth. An estimated population of three to four hundred people compared to the capital of Galilee, Sephoris, uh, which had estimated ten times that number of people. They were counting in the hundreds for Nazareth. They were counting in the thousands for Sephoris. In other words, Nazareth was considered a a small country suburb that people in the other big cities around it didn't think much about. It's easy to judge Nathaniel for looking down uh, at the mention of Jesus' hometown, but let's not point the finger at Nathaniel too hard. Uh, Nathaniel looked down on Jesus for his hometown not being up to his standards. Uh, but if a homeless person were to walk into the church, uh, there would be some so-called good Christians that would look down upon the homeless person. If someone came into the church that didn't speak fluent English, uh, some so-called good Christians would look down on them. If a single mother were to walk into the church with too many children for your liking, there are some so-called Christians that would look down on them. I confess to you that I honestly believe this is part of why the church is failing now. It's a failure to connect with the rest of the community. It's a failure to get out and engage the people outside of patting yourselves on the back for some missional programs. We, we don't want to connect with the people. The pandemic is only ripping off the proverbial band-aid and exposing the, the church's failure to connect with the community faster. 
Churches are struggling because they're supposed to be out in the world making disciples, but the church won't get close to people because the church doesn't approve of them. And so it's easy to judge Nathaniel because he uh, looked at Jesus and said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Because we already know how the story ends, but we have our own in in individual can anything good come from Nazareth situations when we look at who's coming into the church and who's not in the church and who's actually going out to invite other people and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, giving them an opportunity to try it out. Don't look down on Nathaniel too hard because you might be looking in a mirror. Now I confess uh, that Philip's response to Nathaniel is a challenge, uh, uh, or Philip's rather response to Nathaniel's challenge is something that I aspire to. The Lord is still working on me, though. Uh, Philip does not argue with Nathaniel. <sighs> Philip's response to the challenge is Philip just says, come and see. Come test this Jesus out for yourself. Philip goes out to evangelize to Nathaniel. Nathaniel provides him a test and Philip just says, come see. And Nathaniel was willing to follow Philip. And I believe, looking at the text, that the reason Nathaniel uh, followed Philip is because Philip's witness was authentic. Jesus said later on in the text when he saw Nathaniel coming that Nathaniel was an Israelite without de deceit. And I believe that this Nathaniel was willing to check out Jesus because Nathaniel thought Philip was authentic as well. Being an authentic Christian is a whole nother sermon by itself. But I will just say for now that I get upset looking at the example of what so-called Christians are setting regarding Christianity these days, especially around public events. Mm-hmm. Uh, last presidential election in 2016, uh, so-called Christians told us to obey those who were in authority over us because the Lord put them there. Everybody and their mama had some Romans chapter 13 to put out for the people, but now the same people are quiet when people are storming the Capitol and actively plotting to kidnap and kill a elected officials because their candidate lost the election. When people are standing in the pulpit telling their members to get as many guns as possible and, and get as much gun and ammo as they can. Uh, when pastors are putting curses uh, on people who voted for the candidate they didn't like. So-called Christians are claiming that they are pro-life but said nothing about people on social media saying all the N-words and the liberals need to die. Matter of fact, I hear more about people getting mad because their favorite politician or their favorite actor 
activist blogger got deleted off of a certain social media site or that their favorite social media application got deleted. They are more talking about that and who supported what for the impeachment than I've heard about anything else regarding the actual people who plotted and executed destruction and insurrection on our capital. But these are the so-called Christians propping up their so-called God-appointed people. I hear more people pretending to be constitutional scholars and trying to tell me that somebody else's software is a violation of their free speech right. Blue lives matter until they are stopping you from storming the Senate then they don't seem to matter as much. All while holding a Bible in your hand and claiming to be Christians, if uh, the, the witness is not authentic, and if this is the Christianity that you are out here trying to give me, then I don't want it. No wonder the church is failing. And then there are those who somehow find a way not to in address the injustice at all. And those people are just as harmful. I get just as mad as the people that are quiet while the destruction is happening as those who cause the destruction. Problems do not get solved by being quiet while evil persists. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian that was alive during World War II and the Nazi reign of Germany, said that silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. I'm going to say it again. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, theologian in Germany during World War II, during the Nazi rule, who ended up getting killed because he as a pastor decided to speak truth to power instead of just sucking up to the politicians to try to raise up his platform, said that silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Martin Luther King said it himself in a letter from a Birmingham jail when he said that the moderate was the biggest stumbling block to the civil rights movement. The church has to be willing to engage the community and the world at large and speak truth to power. Nathaniel was authentic. Philip was authentic. And at the beginning, Nathaniel may have been looking at the external qualifications, but Jesus looks at the internal, the heart. 
Jesus was not worried about what Nathaniel said. He looked into his heart and he still engaged him. Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture. When he said that if you were shocked at seeing me seeing you at the fig tree, you'll be shocked even more because he is the fulfillment of scripture. Jesus is God and man. That is why the text in this passage calls him Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth and the son of man. Jesus is the replacement for Jacob's ladder, a place where heaven and earth meet. Jacob had a dream in Genesis where he saw angels going up and down a ladder from heaven to earth and back. That place connected the earthly and the divine. And Jesus is saying that he is that new connection. Jesus is saying he is the perfect bridge between heaven and earth. And just like Jesus connects the people to heaven, we need to be able to authentically connect the people to Jesus, connect them authentically like Philip and Nathaniel did. Jesus is not only saying try and buy or come to see in this, in this reading. He's saying to Philip, follow me. Amen. Follow me. And so what is he inviting us to follow? He's inviting us to follow to see where he lives, to observe the signs and wonders that Jesus performs. He invites us to stay and pray. He invites us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he invites us to feed the flock, have a life of service, be in the community, authentically engage the community. Don't just treat this thing like a social club. Don't just treat this like a fraternity or a sorority that is not having a line or a lodge or a country club that is closed for membership because it ain't really that big or that good of a country club to be trying to exclude people from in the first place. Yes, we have life and we have it more abundantly. Yes, we have a we, we are removed from the presence and the penalty and the power of sin. Yes, we get salvation from it, but what are we doing with it? We need to be able to reach the people, connect with them authentically, practice what we preach. And accept the invitation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Take a look. We can tell others to come and see God and see what God is doing. It can't hurt. Let's stop and think what Jesus is really inviting us to do or to be. Perhaps We've been followers of Jesus for many years, but we've never considered what specifically Jesus has invited us to do. It could be possible that we don't have a clue as to our role or our mission or our ministry, but Jesus just says, come and see, try and buy. It is an invitation that can change our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.
Thank you so much for watching this video. Please be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share. Don't forget to connect with me on social media, Pastor Johnny Simpson Jr. on Facebook, at Pastor J. Simpson Jr. on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again for watching, and God bless.